Welcome to the Dylan Experience. Today is episode 70, and I've got a special guest for you today. But before we get to that guest, I want to make sure that you stay in touch with podcasts. So go ahead and like, subscribe, follow, do whatever you need to do to stay in touch with me. My guest today is the host of Let's Have This Conversation podcast. He's a journalist and an accomplished disability rights advocate. He has been instrumental in such organizations as the We Are Able Project, the Discoverability Network in the region of Windsor, Essex, Canada, assisted, uh, excuse me, assisted living, as well as working closely with the Ontario government on creating more employment opportunities for those living with disabilities. He is the recipient of the 2012 Queen's Diamond Jubilee Medal and the 2015 Influential Advocates Award, while also launching his own business venture in 2013 called Mobilizing Media Innovations. I'm happy to share today's podcast with Kevin McShann. Kevin, how are you? Dylan, I'm fantastic. It's great uh, to be with you this morning, and it's uh, great to be here. I'm excited uh, to engage in conversation this morning. Absolutely, I am. I am also excited because I've I've already been on your podcast, so you know we already had that that experience. I'm glad to have you on this time because I get to learn more about your story, and. Uh, I'd like to start there, if that's okay. I'd like to start with how did you, how did you get to do to do what you do now? Like, you know, why did you start the Let's Have This Conversation podcast? Why do you? Why have you done all of this disability advocacy? Why? Tell me, you know, what what's your story? You want to know my why, huh? So I will tell you, Dylan, that I live my life uh, through a saying that says, "Inclusion is the gateway." Uh, to independence. I firmly believe okay. that every everyone in life has the platform to make a difference. And the reason I wanted to start uh, the program, uh, in addition to sort of uh, expanding my own resume, is that I wanted a platform to have open, honest, and uh, hopefully influential conversations that move the needle of progress forward. The, Podcast actually started out of a little bit of adversity. Uh, I started it uh, a month, uh, a, a week uh, before uh, COVID started, and I was headed back. Perfect to timing. On- yeah, no kidding. <laughs> um, I was headed back to the Ontario Chamber of Commerce to do my uh, second stint running uh, the Discoverability Network, but. Uh, a week before my contract was supposed to start, uh, COVID hit, so my contract got suspended. <laughs> so I had some extra time, Dylan, and I told myself that there's only so much Netflix I could watch in a day, and I wanted an outlet to uh, uh, sort of release my creative energy. That's how the podcast started. Well. I feel like there's more. I want to go. I want to go even further back. Why? Why even get involved with things like the Chamber of Commerce? Why get involved with, you know? I mean, I'm I'm looking at this almost resume looking like introduction that I that I put here for you, right? The the journalism, the the you know working for the YMCA, like all of these things. Why even get involved with all of these things? Oh, for me, it's, it's quite simple. You know, I believe we're put on earth for two reasons, to make a difference and then to impact the lives of other people. Because 
when you infect a lot of other people, the rewards that you get are multi multiply partially because you know if you're only concerned about uh, enriching your own life, then you'll live a very uh, sad and, and depressing life. And you know, I'm all about paying it forward. You know, there's a, a sign in my office that says that we're all better together, and you know, and the, the, the the reason, the way you do that is create um, sort of avenues of inclusion for everyone, no matter uh, what type of a background they come from. Everybody has a story, and you know, uh, you know, we had a saying at the, the Chamber of Commerce when I was there that collaboration allows you to accomplish things faster. So, when we talk about uh, collaborative conversations or initiatives, it all uh, flows or, or circles back to me, anyway, to the notion that, that we all have something uh, to contribute to society. So I want to create uh, as inclusive as of, a, of an environment as possible, because then uh, we eliminate barriers to access for everyone. So. Right. I you know, I feel like I've, I've had many conversations on this podcast. Obviously, I'm up, up to episode 70 now. You know, I've had conversations with incredible people. One that comes to mind when I when I have this conversation with you and I listen to you talk uh, is is Maxwell Ivy. He is a he is a blind man, um, calls himself the blind blogger. Um, but we really centralized our conversation around something that you're talking about as well, interdependence, right? This, this idea that, you know, humanity is essentially required to work together. You know, that's how we got to this place and in, in where we are now. And I feel like there's, there, there's, there's, I think there's two schools of thought, right? And I think there's this idea that we want to work together. We have to work together. And then there's these, this hyper independence kind of a men mindset mentality that I think both have been emphasized on social media uh, in, in many different ways and emphasized prior to this, like you have to be hyper independent and yet you have to work together, but like there's no middle ground, you know, there's no discussion in the middle talking about those things. Now, my, my question for you is like within those kind of contexts, how do you kind of see that play out in your work? How, like, what are the challenges of kind of helping interdependence become, you know, a functional thing, a rational thing, a logical thing, and yet still retain identity and give individuality to people? Like, how do you, what do you, what challenges do you see in all that? Well, you know, for me, I am constantly trying to prove myself because, you know, when you have a disability, you have certain advantages, but you also have certain drawbacks. So to answer your question, you know, I always look to maximize my own personal potential because if I'm not maximizing my own personal potential, then I can't ask anyone else to do something that I'm not willing to do personally. But to answer your question about interdependence, I think for folks with disabilities and for myself personally, I think like 
technology and, and social media allow me to uh, sort of reach an audience that I wouldn't be able to reach otherwise. You know, Dylan, I'll tell you uh, uh, just very quickly, the type of uh, cerebral palsy I have is called a spastic quadriplegia cerebral palsy. So it means that my muscles are spastic and it, it, it affects things like muscle movement, muscle memory, uh, my endurance, my ability to stand for long periods of time. But I always tell myself that uh, I can either work for my circumstances or I can have my circumstances work for me. And I've chosen uh, to, uh, you know, a lot of people call me an inspirational person. And I, I simply tell them that I am simply living my life. And through the course of living my life, if I'm an inspiration to anyone, that's terrific. But, I, you know, you know, I always try to chart my own course because, you know, if you can't chart your own course of your own destiny, uh, then you're living an artificial existence in my view. So I always try to live uh, my most authentic, as my most authentic self, and hopefully uh, uh, the road or the uh, the roads that I'm paving towards independence will inspire other people uh, to do the same for sure. I'm curious how you got there, right? Like my like with with paving the road to becoming your authentic self. I think that's so remarkably difficult, especially in the last, you know, 50 years, right? And certainly probably before that, but to 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 become your authentic self and to, you know, look at yourself and say, this is this is what I want. And, you know, to also include people and make that beneficial for others. I think it's quite rare, you know, and, and I think it's becoming more you know, more available to people now that I think social media gives a form of expression that's never before seen. But my question is, how did you get there? How did you get to the point of being able to look at yourself and say, I am just going to be me. And if you don't like it, I, I, there's nothing I can do for you. How did you get there? Yeah, Dylan, I started my second to last year of elementary school. Uh, it was uh, 1998, buddy. Um, um, I had just finished I was uh, nine years old at the time. I'm dating myself, but I was uh, nine years old at the time, and I um, had just returned from uh, Times Valley uh, Children's Hospital, and I was told by Dr. Tim Carey, who, uh, per who performed all of my medical procedures. I remember this distinctly because it's the moment that I really feel that my life sort of took a positive pivot uh, because he had put my parents and I in a conference room at the hospital in London, Ontario. And he had told my parents and myself that there was nothing else medically uh, that uh, doctors could do for me. And then I was told at nine years old that I'd probably I'd never be able to walk again in my life without assistance. Uh, they had done everything they could to straighten my hamstrings, but because of the spasticity in my hamstrings, I just wasn't going to be able to walk. And then I had to go internalize it 
uh, on the two and a half hour ride back from London to Windsor. And I had to go to school the next day. And uh, when I got to school, uh, I credit uh, a meeting I had with my middle school principal. Her name was Dr. Carol Cruley, and she uh, called me into her office, and then she had this a round table, and she had every uh, professional, whether it was a social worker or a therapist or a teacher, that was assigned to my file. And I had gone through the story of what the doctor had told my parents in the conference room of how I wasn't going to be able to walk again, how was I going to define my life at that point. And she had already knew this because uh, she had known that I was coming back from London and she knew what my doctor was going to say. And then she looked at me and she said, uh, the, the one sentence that I think uh, changed my life. And she said to, my, she said to me that uh, the only limitations that you will have in life are the artificial ones that you place on yourself. So I was nine years old at the time, but now that I've gotten older, I'm 33 now. Uh, I really uh, credit that as sort of the launching pad of how I view life, because, you know, life circumstances happens to all of us. It's just about creating a response that combats negativity, that, that allows all of us to sort of uh, propel to whatever uh, our definition uh, of prosperity is. You know, I always say that everyone's portrait of success is different, and that's the great thing about life. We're all given sort of a blank canvas to, uh, to paint whatever sort of a picture that we want. But for me, it happened when I was nine years old, uh, when I was uh, done with this uh, medical procedure stuff, and I had to sort of internalize uh, living the rest of my life in a wheelchair and walking with a walker, for sure. So it happened, uh, my aha moment happened when I was nine years old. That's that's a profound moment to happen at nine and, and then to, to take that and run with it. I I'm, I'm curious, like how did your parents uh, kind of help you through kind of building that? Cause I know like just one, having one sentence said to you, isn't like the aha moment that, you know, you then go from zero to a hundred, right? You still have to take that and build upon it. So that's the foundation. How did you and your family and your parents kind of help you get to 100, if, you know, relatively speaking? Yeah. Uh, so I'll share this story. So I have an identical twin brother. Uh, uh, Keith and I were both born with uh, the form of cerebral palsy that I had. Uh, my brother uh, grew out of his cerebral palsy when we were three months old. Uh, it still affects things like his hand, handwriting, his, his uh, speech at times, but uh, for the most part, uh, he is a normal functioning human and, and has all of the luxuries of life. Uh, but my parents have always uh, set up the foundation of life. Of, you, you know, we hate the word excuses in my house because, you know, uh, in, in our view, excuses are just an artificial 
sort of de determine the progress. We can all make excuses not to do something. You know, it, it takes a special person to create reasons why we have to sort of propel ourselves past the excuse not to do something. So we try to eliminate excuses in life because to me and to my family, they're just artificial blocks uh, to progress. And we try to eliminate those as best we can. I want to, I want to challenge, I want to challenge you a little bit. And I want to, I want to hear your thoughts on this. Now there's, there's a book that I I've really enjoyed. Um, it's called when the body says no. And in, in when the body says no, it kind of talks about the, the hidden it's the subtitle is the hidden cost of stress. And it really talks about, um, there is no good stress. There's no good and bad stress. All stress is relatively bad. Right. And so when we put too much stress on ourselves, uh, we put ourselves in this position of inducing inducing this this kind of state of being that we are overburdening our body. And so my question is for you is how I've kind of looked at excuses. Um, I used to be more like you in in this in this view that excuses are very much not a good thing. But now I've kind of taken a, I've taken a back seat to that and said, maybe excuses are more of uh, understanding priorities, right? I'm not saying excuses are a good thing. Still, I'm saying that using excuses is oftentimes understanding where your priorities lie, and that's not necessarily a bad thing either. But you can't do everything, right? You can't be everything, and you can't become everything, and so. When you recognize, am I using too many excuses? And maybe that's a recognition of my priorities are in a in the wrong place. And my question is like, do you think, do you think you, you know, do you think people have the tendency to overuse this this mentality of excuses are not uh, are not at all beneficial? And could that be a bad thing? What do you think? Well, I I think that. Um... The way that I look at priorities is this way. We, we make time in life for the things that are really, really important to us. And that's how I look at priorities. Now, you can um, use sort of reasoning and excuses to uh, sort of reason about anything, but you can also use them as a chance for growth and expansion, as you said, because you're right. You're not going to be able to do everything you want when you want. Um, you know, we all experience adversity, um, and our response to adversity really, to me, defines what our character will be, because everyone can uh, um, bask in the glory of success. And in life, you're going to fail. You just don't. The law of averages tell us that, that not everything is going to tilt in our direction. And, and to be honest with you, that would be a very boring life. If everything that we wanted happened exactly when we wanted it to, life would have no 
strives for life. So to answer your original question, when I look at excuses versus priorities, um, when I look at excuses, I uh, uh, if you're asking me to redefine excuses, I I would simply tell you that it's 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 a way to redefine our, our priorities and whatever our priorities are at the time goes to the top of the list. And if it's not important to you, it's not an excuse. It's just not something that you're putting on your importance radar at the time. Because life to me has has a way of sort of um, presenting itself when everything is supposed to happen. You know, I strongly believe and I live by the tenet that everything in life happens for a reason. The successes, the failures, the sad moments, the happy moments, everything in life has a reason for happening. And it's incumbent upon all of us to sort of point our compass of direction in the direction that we want it to go. And then once we pointed in the direction that we wanted to go, there are going to be sort of valleys and peaks, uh, and, the, and then the experience of life is going through those valleys, uh, trials and tribulations to ultimately climb the mountain of success for sure. It's, it's, it's interesting because you use something that I've, I've heard other people who, who live with disabilities Oh, well, I've, I've, hold a, I've heard a couple of things that, that you've used in terms of kind of phrases and, and words that others that I've talked to with living who are living with disabilities have very much, very much disliked. And, and I'm curious about this. So one of those things was what you just said. Um, everything happens for a reason, you know, because they're whether they grow up with that as being like the moniker that, you know, well, you, this happened for a reason, right? I, I know, I certainly know examples of people who have grown up with disabilities, having very remarkably religious parents saying, well, God placed this upon you for a reason. Um, and, and living with something as traumatic as certain, certain disabilities can be like, why would he do that? kind of thing um so they grew up having this this sounds like an opposite reaction to how you have lived with um this words or these words and i'm curious like what do you think about that for me uh you know i'm not uh going to um tell anybody to live their lives in a certain way i think that we're all given our belief system as families and as people, but I will simply tell you for me, uh, every opportunity that you're given in life, even if it's a, an opportunity to overcome adversity is a, is a chance to grow. Because for me in life, if you're not learning and growing, that's the day you die. Yeah. You can either wallow and, and, and to be perfectly honest, I, I still struggle with social isolation because there are certain times where I don't have support staff yeah. or 
my parents are no longer able to lift me as they were when I was younger because I'm bigger and they're older. And so there are certain times in my day and my week where I, you know, that that's another reason, one of the other reasons I wanted to start my podcast. Uh, because I use the podcast as sort of a deterrent to social isolation. So I get it. Uh, you can look at this circumstance of having a disability, why this happened to me, or uh, why can I not do certain things that my best friend can do X, Y, and Z, and I can. But I look at having a disability as a strategic competitive competitive advantage. And what I mean by that is I can look at the world and when I when I work with employers I tell them this as a benefit of hiring people with disabilities. I can look at the world as a person with a disability from a completely different perspective than anybody uh, you know we all have just a lived experience. Right. Folks with disabilities have different lived experience uh, by a matter of circumstance. So living with a disability to me is a strategic competitive advantage because it, it, it opens up a knowledge base that other people don't have. And if I can impart that, whether they listen to it or whether they don't, I feel that if I can start the conversation to have an inclusive future, that's my mission in life. Eliminating barriers towards inclusion for folks with disabilities is a lifelong effort, and I get it. And I don't have all the answers to living with a dis disability, but what I do have is strategic smarts on what's worked for me. It doesn't work for everybody because every disability is different. But as long as I've started the conversation on how to include yourself, and going back to your original question, if if people have grown up in, in a religious a household that says, God did this for a reason, well, God does everything for a reason. And we don't question that. What we do is we take our signals from him and try to maximize our moment of difference. And that's how I look like. I think it's a remarkably mature place to stand for you. I mean, to, to look at, you know, I, I, I didn't give you an easy question, right? Like I gave you something that, that completely challenges your, your way of thinking and, and, I think the way you took it was was remarkably mature of like, uh, you know, everyone has to kind of walk their own path and figure out their own their own way of doing things. And I think that's important to understand as a human being that my way isn't the best isn't going to be the best way for you and your way isn't going to be the best way for me. But we can learn from each other. And just because I say something doesn't mean you have to take it upon yourself to follow that. And likewise, and I, I, I love that. I love, 
I think what I love about you is, is that, well, you follow one of my own rules and that's, you don't know what you don't know. Right. And I, and you, you clearly stated that. And I, I love that. I think when people, when people stand on that foundation, when they don't know what they don't know, they don't assume things that are ridiculous or ignorant or anything. Like I don't have any assumptions of who you are. I, actively try and learn who you are and i think you also do the same thing for other people you don't have an assumption of who they are you learn about them you ask the questions the relevant questions not the bullshit questions right you 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 find a way to gain an understanding and if you if you don't stand on the platform of i don't know what i don't know you you make you make ridiculous assumptions that you think you know what's best for everyone and maybe you don't you know and so i i really i really respect and applaud your your response and and in, in that in many ways and just your character i i kevin i love your character so i, I take that as you will <laughs> well i you know i appreciate the compliment for sure and you know i i, I think building character starts with three uh, three sort of principles. Uh, what are your resources? What are your objectives? And what is your time frame for sort of creating a life that you want to live? Once you answer those three questions, building character, uh, because everyone has a different objective in life, but we all have to create the framework to be successful. And by creating the framework that we want to follow, then we take ownership of our own future. So I think building character and life experience are interconnected for sure. Yeah, I I would agree. I mean, you you essentially have to build certain certain character pieces, especially when I mean, when an obstacle is basically placed in your path. And so the, the experience is almost necessary to, to you're going to build some kind of character, not always the best character, you know, and that's, that's something on the, on the opposite end of the, of the experience that you're going to have to address in many capacities. Um, I certainly, um, you know, I, I nearly ended ended my life in 2015 and the buildup to that for 20 years after my dad committed suicide was I built a whole lot of character, really beneficial character. I was willing to do a whole lot of things uh, because the motivation of, you know, making my father, father proud very much inspired me and motivated me to do things that I probably maybe wouldn't have had the motivation to do. I don't know, but on the opposite end of that, when I looked back, I actually realized so many things that I was missing and, and failing at and very weak in things like expression, things like having conversations about deep, deep topics, building deep connections. Um, those were things I was remarkably weak at because my character had, you know, gone through these remarkably difficult experiences and built so much character on the opposite end of them. But until you maybe get to the next experience, it's hard to really look at where your weaknesses are right now. And that's where 
I think these conversations that you and I are having right now is a very helpful way to reveal things, right? You know, having conversations with you, a person that has been through remarkably different experiences than me, um, reveals things about myself, right? It reveals, uh, maybe even my weaknesses, maybe my strengths, right? Maybe we applaud each other, but maybe you challenge me and you say, Hey, Dylan, I think, you know, your thinking is, is potentially fucked up. Right. And, and I think that's an important aspect of self-development because I think, I think we misunderstand the idea of self-development too often because it's self-development. You can only do it yourself. That's a fallacy. I think you have to have other people look at you and say, Hey, do you know, you do this? Do you know, you see, you know, do you know, you talk about this a lot? Do you know, you have these conversations a lot? Do you know that this conversation or this way of saying things, you know, doesn't really jive with these people or these, this group. And until we can have those conversations, we're not really doing self-development. Well, what are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, my thoughts on that is, um, diversity of perspective is a good thing. Yeah. Uh, self-development only happens when we admit that, you know, the hardest thing for uh, any person to say sometimes is three words. I don't know. <laughs> you know, and once people uh, admit that uh, and then adopt the perspective that Diversity of perspective is a good thing. Then I think we can move the, the needle of progress forward because not everybody has all of the answers. So that's my answer. Diversity of perspective moves the needle, uh, moves the needle of progress forward. Absolutely. So, uh, Kevin, where, you know, with all that you do, and I'm sure, you know, I'm sure you do so much. What is your direction right now in terms of, you know, uh, of your life? What are like, what are you trying to achieve with the podcast outside of just, you know, quelming your own social isolation, which I'm obviously doing the same with mine, right? But what is your, you know, what's one of your bigger goals in terms of the podcast, in terms of your life? Like, what are you trying to kind of accomplish? What are you trying to achieve? Yeah, the podcast, the main podcast angle that I have is to turn uh, uh, the conversations that I'm having into sort of a national platform. To have a national talk show where we can talk about anything from entrepreneurship to uh, lifestyle uh, topics to gun violence to disability advocacy stuff. So uh, to answer your question, I'm attempting to create uh, an inclusive platform that can be turned into a national platform. So that's that's the goal. Is it working? (laughs) Uh, Well, uh, I started uh, the podcast uh, nearly two and a half years ago. And over 5,000 people have downloaded at least one episode of the podcast. And I've reached over 300,000 people in just over uh, two and a half years. So I'm, 
I've created a foundation. So it's about building the foundation and uh, challenging myself. You know, I, I I'll share the story. I, I had originally went to school to become a sports reporter. Yeah. Uh, and I wanted to challenge myself to cover more than sports. So I wanted to challenge myself to really have conversations that made a difference in people's lives, whether I'm helping people promote a business or whether I'm helping people look at the daily headlines in the news from a different perspective or whether I'm creating a platform that allows them to look at uh, issues that are happening in their lives from a different perspective. You know, I try to have conversations that are, are, are authentically meaningful. And what I mean by that is I, I try to feature people that, that really are trying to move the needle of progress towards unity closer. You know, I, I say I started the podcast because I wanted to build bridges of both unity and understanding. You know, and, and, and so uh, many facets of life today, Dylan, were, were incredibly divided. Yeah. And my, my goal with the podcast is to shrink the sort of gap of division and bring it tighter to, to a environment of unity. Now, we're not always going to agree. Right. But again, again, if I can start the conversation to at least allow people to determine what they want to determine based on the factual evidence rather than the rhetoric that they so often feel. So my, my goal of the podcast uh, is to create a national platform and to bridge uh, that sort of divide and create bridges of unity, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I... I... It, it tells in the name, obviously, that let's have this conversation is such a, you know, it, it should be a unifying kind of idea. Um, I'm, I'm sure, I think whenever you talk about unity, there's always people that want to create disunity. Uh, and I'm curious, like, what, what challenges have you kind of come up against with people that have not agreed with your platform? Or have you, have you faced that yet? Um, I know I have, um, and and so I'm I'm always curious about how how do you manage that? How do you handle that? And and what what stories have you have you come up with? You know, Dylan, I, I I've I've been I've done podcasts now for seven and a half years before I started uh, the the one I'm doing now, and I and I noticed from a very young age, even when I was just doing YouTube videos for my own sort of growth and expansion, you know, people uh, have called me retarded. They 
me an idiot. They called me every name that you can think of. In the book, and you know, one of the effects of my disability is that I uh, talk fast, or when I have a thought in my head, I talk fast in order to get it out. And sometimes I talk so fast that I, I talk like this where my words get jumbled and I, I don't speak as clearly as sometimes that I would like to. But what I've learned through doing this, I started podcasting uh, professionally in 2014. And what I've learned through this is that you're not going to satisfy everyone. You can have yeah. uh, constructive discourse, and sometimes when you have it, you you look at the way you're doing things, and and you may adjust because you, uh, you know, for me, it's important to do positive and critical self-assessment because if you're not willing to grow and learn yourself, then you can't expect other people to do it. So to answer your question in, in dealing with adversity, negativity through a public forum such as podcasting, you just have to know that you're not going to appease everyone. Yeah. And, and, and for those that don't like the platform, you tell them, don't listen or watch anymore. But if they continue to do that, that only means that in some level, they think what you're doing is a good thing because they, they wouldn't continue to watch if they didn't want to at least hear what you have to say. Now, vitriol is going to come in all forms. The way you do that is sometimes you don't read it, you know. Sometimes, you know, if I need a break for social, from social media, I'll deactivate my social media accounts for a week. Yeah. Or, you know, a couple of a months ago, my Instagram account got hacked. And people are like, you were almost at 2,000 posts on Instagram. If when your account got hacked, you should go back to Instagram. And I'm like, it's one last account that I have to manage. <laughs> not, not everything in life has to be publicized. That's so relatable. <laughs> and, I, and I tell people, I don't post anything on social media that I don't want other people to see. Uh, to be perfectly honest, sometimes, I don't care what people have to do. Yeah. So, you know, what what people post on social media can be an effective tool. It can also be incredibly disconcerting. Yep. And the way you block that out is you just say to yourself, that person is not in your corner of champion. And you move on with life. Because you know, what you try to do is Educate that person on your perspective. And, and if you determine that person doesn't want to be 
sort of inclusive in their discourse, then you just move on. And you can block that person from commenting again. So social media for me is a lifeline because it is my extension to the rest of the world when I can't get out there. Right. But on the same token, um, it can be incredibly disconcerting, as I said. But you just have to create a filter that works for you when those negative moments happen. I know that's a roundabout answer, but I really do think there are positive benefits to to the concept or the idea of engaging in conversation. Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, we're, we're having, and, and I've talked about this before on the podcast, so this won't be anything new to, to the people that listen. I have, I have my own thoughts on social media. I think it's remarkably beneficial for the people like yourself that need to, to escape social isolation, right? Like the, you know, if you, if you look at where you would be 60, 70 years ago and, and and you look at like how culture and society existed back then. I mean, the, 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 the quality of life you would have had comparatively to now where you have the ability to, to, to go out, you know, you don't even need to go anywhere. You can call somebody, right. You can video chat someone, you know, the, the ability to connect with someone even from your own home is remarkable and that that enhances quality of life. And so Social media has benefits. It obviously comes with its aversions and its risks, but you know it's it's something that has actually provided people who have historically been, you know, either controlled, uh, manipulated, coerced, uh, you could call it even deceived and put down, um, you know, criticized, all sorts of different things gives people a chance to express themselves, right? And so. You know, people with disabilities now have a voice, which is remarkable because I don't think they really have had a voice, you know, looking back 100 years. Uh, people of color have a voice. Minorities have a voice. Women have a voice, right? And that's not to say that, you know, white men don't have a voice. We still have a voice. It's just different and it should be, right? Because we're, we're all on an even keel, right? And that's, I think that's a beneficial thing to society though some people will disagree with me and that's fine. Right. But if you don't have the ability to have a conversation with me, uh, then maybe that's your problem, not mine. Right. Yeah. You know, I view life as a melting pot of expectations and experience. Yeah. We all set a bar of expectations that is up here. Yeah. And sometimes it goes, to the middle. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it goes to the very bottom. And sometimes it uh, skyrockets back up to the top. And then, but, and then you join the army and your expectations plummet to the, to the very bottom of the earth and you realize that you can't have any expectations. I'm sorry. It, sorry to interrupt. No, no, no. <laughs> that, that's, that, that's, that's totally an authentic response, but the, the uh, point is, okay, 
based on the circumstantial evidence that you have towards a solution or an outcome. We can set a base of expectation, but if we're not willing to be committed to coming up with a game plan of execution, then I don't, I, I don't care what your expectation level is. You have to have a, at least a base level of commitment. Right. And, and if you have a foundation of commitment, then your expectations can be whatever you want. You know, I always say that, you know, artificial expectations, you, you can't meet someone else's expectations first, artificially, if you don't have the authentic expectation of yourself. You know, what I say in life is that expectations, the only expectations you have to meet on your own. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't aspire to have the expectation to make other people uh, proud or, uh, or, or you can't use them as inspirations or targets to aspire to, but it starts with having your own foundation of expectation for sure. And then they, yeah, they fluctuate in life based on uh, the expectation of how your life evolves for sure. I feel like we're we're digging into the concept of like values and principles, where you know, like as as a base level, uh, you know, when we're talking about a foundation, I have values, and those values almost intrinsically by definition of my values place my expectations where they should be. Like it's it's almost like you know you you play a video game and you you build your character and you know you add value to those skills and that's the number you get, you know, you're, that's where you're going to be, you know, where, where I look at this of like, let's say like empathy, I, I define empathy as listening to understand. And so my expectations of people are remarkably low because I don't have this expectation that they're supposed to be empathetic to me. All I need them to do is listen. That's it. Right. I, I, I don't need, them to take on my emotions and do amazing things, save my life, fix me, help me, you know, solve my problems. I just need them to listen. Likewise, to me, all I need to do to to satisfy my value of empathy is listen to understand. And then on top of that, when we're moving beyond, that's when my definitions of things like respect and integrity, courage, all of these other things kind of come into play. Is that when you have this this you know, confirmed definition in place, the expectation makes itself, but it's usually remarkably low. What I find is that when people don't define values, when they don't define principles or rules of how they live their life, you could call them ethics or morals, values, whatever you want, they then have these expectations that don't fit the values that they very well have chosen for themselves. What do you think? Yeah, I, it goes back to what I said earlier. Uh, we, we set priorities in life that are important to us. And our priorities in life are, are infused with our values and our expectations. 
You know, I wake up every morning grateful for another day to live life because it's another day for me to positively impact the world with the values and expectations of how I want to live life. Um, as we mentioned earlier, not everybody's going to agree with your perspective. But if you're not willing to fight for the perspective of your own values, then you can't have expectations, ethic, or values. Yeah. You have got to find a way, and I live my life this way, because I'm not going to be able to do everything people are going to do that all um, physically able to do it. I'm just not going to be able to do it. Right. My circumstances are different than yours. Your circumstances are even different than your wife's. Yep. The, the kid you just had, yep. your values in some way, are going to be transferred. You you had a daughter, right? Yep. Yeah. So your 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 daughter's values are at least initially yours. Among now, there may be as she gets older, things do disagree with you, but as long as you know that it's coming from a value system of strength, which in some level you have mold, then you can look at it as I created independence in my dad. Yep. Because that's an independent <laughs> that's an independent thought. And when you talk about values, ethics and expectations, it's all about creating whatever your definition of an independent thought is. Because if you have a foundation of independent thought, then the values, ethics, and expectations set themselves based on the criteria you set for yourself. Now, if you set a shitty level of expectations or a value system, then the level of independent thought is what you put into it. It's like life. You get out of life what you put into it. Mm -hmm. and, and if you put a lot into life, you'll get a lot out of it. So that, that's my answer to value, uh, ethics, and expectations. It's about creating independent thought because then you create a foundation on which to stand. Yeah, and I don't think you can get more... I don't think you can get more independent in thinking than crafting and building your own foundation of values because i i think that is that requires to me you know because i have this conversation with my clients a lot and i have this conversation in you know on podcasts and in person all over the place what is so profound about building your own values is this idea that you actually have to connect with yourself you have to connect with your body you have to connect with your mind. You got to connect with your soul and determine what it is that actually feels right to you. Um, and then you also have to question what, you know, you have to look into society and see what society says is right and wrong and say, I, I agree or disagree. Right. You know, I, I look at like people like Martin Luther King. At one point, there was a status quo 
And he had to look at that status quo and and look at his intrinsic value system and say, I disagree with this. We need we need something different in this in this country. And he did that, right? He he stepped out. And even though people thought it was wrong, right? Like certainly there were white people that thought it was wrong. And I'm sure there were there were people of color that thought it was wrong. He still did it. And so like I, you know, I go back to that part where you said it requires a level of commitment. And it it requires a commitment to questioning yourself. It requires this commitment to looking at yourself and saying, this is what feels right to me, but I'm going to test it. I'm going to research it. I'm going to make sure that it's not just, it doesn't just feel right. And I'm going to base my decision off emotion, but I'm actually going to do the the due diligence within myself and figure out, is it actually something that needs to change or is it something that needs to change in me? Um, and and I don't think you can become more independent in thinking than making those decisions right there and then building a value system on top of that. Yeah, for me, it all goes back to um, how you want, you you know, I I interviewed someone uh, a couple of weeks ago, and his name was David Averin, and David helps people sort of maximize the potential of their businesses and their lives as an entrepreneur in Alaska. And, you know, Dylan, uh, as you know, I end every podcast that I do with the question of how you want your legacy to be defined. And David Andrew has really um, stuck with me uh, the last couple of weeks. He said your legacy isn't determined by the day you are born or the day that you're down. It's determined by the dash in the middle and how you want the day that you're born and the day that you die to sort of uh, 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 create the narrative of, of your life and how they come together at the end of it. So it's about creating uh, the definition of your dash. Yeah. Because everybody, everybody knows on your tombstone, it tells you the day that you were born, the day that you died. What isn't defined is the dash in the middle. Right. And, and it's incumbent upon all of us to define the dash in the middle of our lives. That's a poem, The Dash by Linda Ellis. It's an oh. incredible, it's an incredible it's poem. It's actually, it's actually like, you know, I've, I'm obviously on TikTok. I actually read that poem on TikTok and that, that was one of the poems that went, or the, the readings that went super viral. So I had like over, I think it was over 1.5 million views on that. Um, that's why I know this because, um, I love that poem and it, and it talks so wholesomely about that, you know, of the, of the dash in the middle, um, and how important it is. And I, I love it. I love bringing that, bringing attention to that because it's it's such a well written poem. Absolutely. But. Yeah, absolutely. Defining, you know, I call it defining your level of victory. 
because we all have moments of, you know, for me, uh, and I know you're going to ask me this a little bit later, so I will uh, shorten my answer, but. It, <laughs> I could ask about, you now if you wanted me to. <laughs> no, no, no. It's, it's about defining your moments of impact in life. And for me, it's all about defining the moments of impact that I'm able to, I, I've used this term a lot, but, but it's, it's something that I am fiercely dedicated and committed to, and that's moving the needle of progress. And what, what I mean by moving the needle of progress is, how can I positively influence to make a difference in their life. And how can that inspiration inspire other people to do the same? So it's about sort of defining your level of moments of impact for me. Yeah. I don't think I really understood that until I became a parent. And not not a parent to my daughter, because obviously my daughter's so recent. Um, I had her on Memorial Day of of this year, 2022. Um, but I became a step parent about six years ago. You know, I mean, like, I obviously by relationship I became kind of a, a parent, and so when I started seeing my impact on on that that little boy. He was, you know, I met him when he was four and and really got to know him when he was five. Um, you don't really recognize how impactful you are every day until you see someone every day and pay attention to them, right? It's easy to get into this habit of living your life and not paying attention to what's around you. Uh, but when you take the take the step back and you see yourself in someone else, kids are mirrors of their parents and the people they're around. And so when you, when you start to see your own behavior mirrored in them, that's when you really start to pay attention to this, I think. And, and that idea that you're, that you're talking about of seeing your own impact and and crafting your own impact within people. uh, I really started taking stock of that when, when I became a stepdad uh, and and to the point now where there are times where I am tired, I am exhausted, I'm I do not want to do anything, or I, I you know I, there's there's times where it's just not the right time, and I have to look at him and I have to say, figure it out, All right? To me, right? Like I have to say, Dylan, now's not now's not the time to, you know, to be tired. And that's not me dismissing my own needs. It's me recognizing that tomorrow I'm going to regret not doing more for him or not being a part of his life. Uh, and so you you start to recognize that there's a balance of recognizing your own needs and taking care of yourself and then also looking at other people and recognizing that that impact that you make within that person is part of your needs as well. And I think connection is often far more important than, uh, than t- 
taking a nap or something like that, right? That that doesn't mean taking naps aren't bad things, but finding that that connection and building deeper connection is always going to be in my life. And I think it should be in other people's lives, the priority because connection is everything. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with that. Um, authentic human connection is vital. You know, one of the one of the things about having a disability is that you you're not readily available all the time. And when I say available, I mean you're not always given the chance to interact with yeah. other people from uh, in-person basis. So conversations like we're having today enrich my life because this may be the only chance I get to have a conversation with the outside world today. And I, 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 I think for kids, as you said, they emulate what they see. Yeah. You know, far too often in life, kids are not given examples of politics. Uh, you talk to any, and I've, I've done it, so you talk to any foster parent or any parent who is taking up a kid because their biological parent can't do it. Uh, or you take up, in my case, my brother uh, married someone that uh, when they got married, uh, she was a teenager. Um, so my brother was instantly sort of thrust into becoming a step. Yeah. And when you are given those circumstances, you take on the personality of that kid and then you try to sort of infuse sort of your life's wisdom into them and then you watch it sort of emulate out of them. So I, I think human connection and authentically communicating with people, whether it's through Zoom, like we're doing today, or in person over the phone, you know. Um, so I'll just end this part of our conversation this way. Um, so uh, I live in, in Windsor, Ontario, Canada, which is the city right across the river from and uh, my, my father's family is originally American. My, my, my grandparents, his parents, lived in the States. My uh, grandmother is 85 and my grandfather is 87. During the height of the pandemic, obviously, we couldn't go to see them. So we established something called the Sunday Columbine. Take half an hour to 45 minutes every week to check in on my parents or grandparents. 
and it's one of the reasons that we still have a landline in my house to uh, effectively communicate with the brand. So I, I think authentic human connection is everything because it, it connects the rest of the world to possibilities that are within their fingertips. Yeah, I agree. I, I can't, I can't think of anything that's more, uh, that has been more important in my life. And, and certainly I can't think of anything that's more important in other people's lives than, than that. But listen, Kevin, I, I've loved our conversation and I'd love to, you know, close it out with obviously the question that uh, I think maybe you've already answered, but um, you can answer it you know, for real this time and, and, and give your, your two cents on it. Um, if there was one message you could leave the world, what would that be? If there was one message, you know, if I died tomorrow, if, if there was one lesson that I would want to leave the world, it's that inclusivity is an and what I mean by that is that the more you include people, the broader your perspective, the broader your definition of diversity, and the broader the definition of uh, connection and connectivity. I, I think inclusivity is a vital sort of argument to connect a connectivity. You have to include people because that, that that's the way they grow. Whether you're a part of a marginalized community as I am having cerebral palsy, or you have millions of dollars in the bank. At the end of the day, we're all people. So including them is important because it, it creates um, avenues of conversation like we had this morning uh, and then also creates avenues of understanding. So uh, my message to people is that inclusivity is an inch closer uh, to progress. So inclusivity is important. I love it. And I want to thank you for, for being on the podcast. I want to thank you for having me on your podcast and, you know, making this conversation happen. I I've enjoyed it. I, I, I've enjoyed both this conversation and the conversation we had on your podcast. Um, then we might have to do it again when you, you know, when you do more stuff. So by all means, keep in touch. Let me know, you know, what you've got going on. Um, for the people who are listening still, thank you for, for, you know, paying attention to this podcast, giving it, giving it the time of day. Um, and we will catch you next time on the Dylan experience. And that's it. Fantastic.